This week, we're starting a brand new series from Pastor Tom called Hope Breaks Through. Come on, church, let's give a huge welcome to Pastor Tom. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to see everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, able to spend time with family, friends, and doing all kinds of fun stuff. I can say that in the Woodhouse, the Feast of Rolls was a massive success. And right now, our house is all Christmasified, the tree's up, um, and so we're all focused on Christmas, both in the Woodhouse and here at the church. And so you've heard a ton of stuff about the good stuff that's coming up uh, this Christmas, uh, including Cows and Cocoa this Friday. I cannot wait. And you already heard from Megan that uh, our kids are all kinds of psyched about that. So that's awesome. But the other thing that I did want to hit on is the Advent plan that we're doing. We did this over the summer. We gathered the whole church and invited everyone in the church to join together and do a Bible reading plan through the book of Luke and Acts. And we've got something similar set up right now to go through an Advent plan that you can find on version. So for those of you online or in person, um, you can go on the app, you can go on our website and get all the info about that. Or if you're in person, you may have got a card here today. Um, but I wanted to share with you a verse um, that is actually from day one. So the plan starts today and I want to share a verse uh, from today with you in just a moment. Um, but I wanted to let you know that the series that we've started, uh, Hope Breaks Through, this is what Megan and I, as we were thinking about Christmas months ago, um, we landed on and we believe that Hope Breaks Through is what we should be saying and what we should be declaring this Christmas season. And having heard from many people here at the church, I can tell you that I, I believe that this is something that our church needs. We need a dose of hope. We need a dose of, of confidence that God is moving, that God is working in the lives of his people. Amen. So I believe that this is timely and hopefully it's extremely helpful for everyone here. But the Christmas story is all about God stepping into human history. The Christmas story is about hope bursting into a desperate situation, a desperate world when a baby was born 2,000 years ago. The Christmas story is in itself a message of hope. And the reading from the first day of the Advent plan that I want to share with you is from Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope by definition is not defined by today, but a belief that the future will be better than the present. Hope is not defined by the circumstance and the reality of today, but rather it is defined by a belief and a confidence that things can be better in the future, better ahead than it may be right now. At work, we hope that the promotion will be better than our current position. We hope medical treatment will help us physically. A college student hopes that their degree will get them a good head start and a meaningful career. A sports team loses a game and they hope the next game is better. Megan has hope that I'm going to shave my beard. But hope is future focused. Hope is future-focused and drives the belief that things can get better. We read a verse from Romans 15, but earlier in the book of Romans, the author, Paul the Apostle, presents Abraham as an example of hope. So this is from Romans 4.18. Uh, Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. I'm sure many of you here know the story from Genesis. Abraham was given a promise. And as we just read, there was no reason for hope. 
There was nothing about Abraham's circumstances. There was nothing about his own abilities. No one else was making any promises to Abraham, and even if they did, they had no ability to keep those promises. But Abraham had a promise and a word from God, and that was the source of his hope. The writer to the Hebrews also points out to us that Abraham is an example with some hope. Abraham, he, he was alive by 2,000 years before Jesus, and he's considered the father of the Jewish faith because God had given him this promise that he would be a nation from his descendants. And this is recorded in the book of Genesis. And he received a promise, and he waited patiently as God fulfilled his promise for these descendants. The author of the Hebrews compares us placing our faith in Jesus to Abraham having hope that God would keep his promise for descendants. Hebrews 6, then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, those of us who have fled to Jesus, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And the word anchor here, every other time the word anchor is used in the Bible, it is used literally to talk about the anchor of a boat. This is the only time that it's used as a metaphor or an illustration, and it's used to describe hope, to describe hope as an anchor. And if you think about the anchor on a boat, it's there to keep the, the boat locked in position, to keep the boat from drifting off to a dangerous place, to keep the, the boat from drifting somewhere that the, the people on the boat don't want to go. It's designed to keep something locked and keep in position, to keep them safe. And hope keeps our souls secure as we patiently wait for God to fulfill his promises. The first verse that we read in Romans, it describes God as the source of hope. Romans 5.13 I pray that God, the source of hope, other translations say the God of hope, but the word source, it paints a great picture that our hope begins with God. It is rooted, it originates, it is founded in God. The place where our hope comes from, where we draw hope from, where we go to get hope is God. God is our source of hope. And in the New Testament, it's difficult, possibly even impossible, to distinguish between hope and promise. If you search for the word hope in the New Testament, a part of what you'll read in the larger context is you'll typically see something about the promise of God as a part of the same train of thought. To have hope in God, for him to be the source of hope, is to have great confidence in his promise. And all of this, as I was thinking about this this week and getting ready for today, it led me to a question. If God is not the source of our hope, then what is? And we could ask 10 different people and get 10 different answers. But when we feel like Abraham, who had no apparent reason for hope, where else would hope come from? Where's the great confidence coming from? What would anchor ourselves if we're not anchoring ourselves to God? And hope is future-focused and drives the belief that things can get better. But if God is not the source of that belief, then what is? Who or what else is making promises to us? And do we trust these promises with so much confidence that it gives us the hope that we can define our entire lives based on the promise that is coming. I want to get into uh, the nativity story, the story about the birth of Jesus, which is, we've already said, is an extreme story of hope. And Matthew, in his gospel, his nativity account, it focuses on Joseph's side of the story. And we read about an angel visiting him and assuring him that Mary's baby is indeed conceived by the Holy Spirit and that the son will be the one that saves people from their sins. But Luke's gospel, it focuses on Mary's experience. So prior to Joseph's experience with an angel, we read this about Mary. 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Great greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, talking about the birth of John the Baptist. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son, and now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Now, I want to consider the size and the magnitude of the promise that the angel just gave to Mary, the angel being a faithful messenger from God. Just wait, wait, just wait up for a moment. The sheer size, the enormity of the promise that the angel had given to Mary. Luke 1, 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This promise given to Mary that the son you're going to have is going to be very great. He's going to be called the son of God, going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to reign forever in an eternal kingdom that will never end. It's impossible to state the enormity of this problem. It's impossible to describe just how huge this is. And Mary's response, how can this happen? I am a virgin. Before we even start talking about this baby who's going to grow up to be great, who's going to sit on thrones, who's going to be reign forever, who's going to be on David's throne, who's an eternal kingdom, the son of God. Before we get there, I can't even have a son, let alone all the other things. My present circumstance, you're coming to me with this enormous promise, I can't even have a son, let alone the rest of what you've just said. I can't even have a son. I'm unmarried. I'm a virgin, eternal kingdom. I don't know anything about that. All I know is I can't even have a son. But the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby will be born holy and he will be called the Son of God. And there's a lot of things here, a lot of big promises. But the angel, the faithful messenger from God, reassures her, the word of God will never fail. Other translations say, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now we fast forward nine months, and we have a heavily pregnant Mary, Luke 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken where Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village in Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. We have the famous image of baby Jesus in a manger. And we say it's his humble beginnings, but truthfully, it's humiliating beginnings. There's questions from people about the parentage of Jesus. 
There's not even room for them to be able to rent so that they can stay. The only place available was the place where the animals stayed. And Jesus was laid in the manger where hours earlier, animals would have been feeding out of. And the beautiful picture we see on Christmas cards is certainly a far cry from reality. And anybody that's been to a farm knows the case. But there's a manger. And maybe Joseph and Mary have to shoo away animals who keep bothering the sleeping newborn Jesus. And I can't prove it because the Bible doesn't say, but I wonder if they start recollecting their experiences with the angels who let them know about this baby. The laying in the manger is a baby who will be very great. He'll be declared the son of God, who'll sit on the throne of David, who'll reign forever in an eternal kingdom that will never end. This is what God had promised. And the angels were faithful messengers. And this promise became an anchor. Similar to Abraham, there's not much reassurance in the stable that this baby would become the savior of the world. But that was the promise. Hope is not limited to today's reality but anchored in the promise of God. Hope is not limited to today's reality, but anchored in the promise of God. Abraham had no natural reason for hope. Mary had no natural reason for hope, but they had a promise. And what's the promise that you and I can anchor our hope in? The promise is that laying in the manger 2,000 years ago was the savior of the world. A group of Samaritans found this out in John 4 when they met the adult Jesus, and they declared in John 4:42, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world, the Savior who would save people from the consequence of their sins, who would forgive us for the unimaginable debt that we owe, the Savior who would pay the price to repair our broken relationship with God. Paul the Apostle would describe it this way in 2 Corinthians. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. In the manger was a baby. Despite a humiliating start, he would go on to fulfill the promise of being the savior of the world, the only one who could repair the broken relationship between God and humanity. That means we can embrace a new life in him, that we can be done with the old, no longer having our sins counted against us as we just read from Paul. And the image of the baby in a manger represents the greatest promise and the greatest hope the world will ever know. I wanna read that verse from Romans to you again. I pray that God, the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to take a few moments. I want to walk through that verse from Romans that I think is so helpful for us. And the first kind of section that we see here is, uh, I pray that God, the source of hope, See, God is the source of hope because he is the source of the promises. Hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present. But the initial question of if God is not the source of hope, what is? And I think that that's something that we really should wrestle with is that are we drawing our sense of hope from our relationship with God? Are we drawing our hope from the promises that God has made? 
And if your house is anything like my house, once in a while there'll be a situation where your spouse will say, can you go by the store to get something for dinner? And then the dreaded question of, what do you want? And the inevitable reply of, I don't care. <laughs> to be fair, in the Woodhouse, both Megan and I will do this. As far as I'm concerned, if you give the reply of, I don't care, you lose the right to complain about what the person brings home. <laughs> Not that this ever comes up for us. But if you go to the store, you've no idea what you're getting. All you know is you found yourself in a shopping, you know, you're in a, you're in a grocery store and you're hungry and you're trying to get something for food. You just start scouring the aisles looking for something. You're hungry. You want to eat something. Your spouse has been useless, no offense, and has not given any direction. Anyway. You're in the store looking for food, hungry, wanting something to eat. You've no idea what to get. You just look around, and before you know it, you found something, and anything will do, so you end up taking home anything. I wonder if it's a fair comparison with that's how we go through life in relationship to hope. We want hope. We want the future to be better than it is today especially if we're hurting, especially if we're in a tough season, especially if life has been unfair to you. We want life to be better tomorrow than it is today. And if we're not looking to God as our source of hope, we're wandering around in the grocery store, and the first thing that catches our eye is where we put our hope. The world is screaming different options and different ways and different methodology and different philosophies on how to get hope. God as a source of hope means believing and trusting in his promises. And his track record is pretty good. In fact, flawless. But that hunger that we have, that desire for the future to be better than it is right now, if our eyes are not fixed on him for our sense of hope, we're wandering, looking for anything. It is like being in a supermarket, starving, looking for anything that will help satisfy the hunger. Are we settling for something that isn't God? Are we settling for hope that is easy come, easy go? Are we settling for hope that all the wisdom of the world is screaming, this is going to help? This is going to help you have a confidence that tomorrow can be better than it is today. And are we settling for something that is only going to lead to disappointment? If nothing else from today, take something from what Paul is writing to the church. I pray that God, the source of hope, and we change how we think, and we realize, and we believe, and we trust that God is the source of hope. This is where we get confidence that tomorrow can look better than today is from Him. God gives hope because He gives promises. And His promises give hope because He keeps His promises. God gives hope because he gives promises. And his promises gives hope, because he keeps his promises. Second part of this verse from Romans, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Joy and peace because you trust in him. 
And so much of the thought today around the hope that God gives and the hope we get when our hope is sourced from him is based on the big and eternal things and the big things and the big promises of God and the eternal promises of God. But joy and peace, as I read this this week and as I thought about it, it brings it down to a personal level. The hope of God doesn't just mean that I can endure all the misery of life, but then finally when I die, then I might have some happiness. The hope of God means that we can have a confidence that this time next year, things can look better, stronger, healthier than they look right now. That God can do amazing things that we can have hope in God, not only for the eternal, but also for the here and now. We can see him at work in the everyday. And how many of you have found out that even though God's at work all the time, sometimes it's more obvious than others. But because we hope, we trust. Because we hope, we trust. What we can take from what Paul is writing to the Romans, our responsibility, your responsibility, my responsibility is to trust. The connection between hope and trust is present in both the Romans passage we've been reading and also Hebrews that we've read earlier. In Romans, we see again, we fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then from Hebrews, this hope is strong and trustworthy, anchor for our soul. The truth is, typically, we have no idea how God is working things out and how he's weaving his plans together. But we are told to trust. We are told to trust. And over the next few weeks, as we continue this series on Hope Breaks Through, we're going to consider and we're going to look at how this means for you on a personal level, on a day-to-day level. But as I was thinking about Mary this week, the responsibility that she had as that angel came and said, you're going to have a son, that responsibility to be the earthly mother of Jesus. It meant that in Jesus, in his complete humanity, Mary was there as he matured from baby Jesus in the manger to grown-up adult Jesus. She was there. Mary and Joseph were there as he matured from baby in the manger up to adult Jesus. And the whole time, Mary had a promise that he be great. He sat on an eternal throne that he be declared as the son of God. He'd be the savior of the world. She had this promise in her mind. But as she's going through the practical of raising this baby, as this toddler, as this kid, as this teenager, do you have any idea of how God was going to work through his son? Could you have any comprehension of how God was going to use Jesus and the specifics of what Jesus was going to fulfill and accomplish and how he was going to minister. I I don't see how she could have any comprehension of that. So I think Mary and Joseph, I'm going to assume they were there for Jesus' first words with no idea that with a word he would cast out demons, that with a word he would calm the Sea of Galilee, with a word he would call Lazarus from the tomb, and that his teachings would change the world. Were they there when Jesus took his first steps? No idea that one day he would walk on water. They go into the market to buy fish. Any idea that the riffraff there working the fish market would be some of Jesus' best friends one day? As they were reluctantly and begrudgingly going to pay their taxes, would they have any idea that the tax collectors that all the neighborhood despised would be some of the people Jesus loved most? As a good Jewish family and they're walking past a prostitute or a known brothel, Mary and Joseph shielding the kids and crossing the street so that the kids can preserve their innocence. They have any idea that the prostitutes are people that Jesus would restore dignity and hope to. While at home making bread, 
Any idea that one day Jesus would declare, I am the bread of life? Or telling people, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. The first time Jesus rode a donkey, which I can only assume is the first century equivalent of riding a bike. First time Jesus rode a donkey. Any idea that one day he would ride a donkey into Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday and be honored as the king coming in the name of the Lord. As they took regular trips to the temple for feasts like Passover. Any idea that one day he'd be there teaching as an honored teacher and the next he'd be flipping tables and driving out money changers. As Jesus interacting with his younger brothers and sisters, forgiving them for being annoying younger brothers and sisters. Any idea that one day he would say, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. About a group of Roman soldiers crucifying him. The one day anybody from any country, anywhere in the world, with any background, any ethnicity, any social standing, with any sin imaginable in their track record, would be able to come and find forgiveness from him. And as Joseph shows him a few things in the wood shop, the one day a different carpenter would build a wooden cross. I'm sure they had no idea, but they had a promise. And they had a promise that they trusted. We can't calculate or comprehend how God is working, but we can trust. We can't wrap our heads around, we can't fathom, we can't estimate, we can't predict how God is working, but we can trust. And what we just read from Paul, from the trusting, we find peace and joy. Romans goes on, then you will overflow with confident hope. It just so happens I, I'm a bit of a weirdo if you haven't figured that out yet, but I've been watching a lot of videos online about irrigation techniques in developing nations. And what's amazing is that if you have a, a trench or a canal where you've got the main source of water, the trick is, is that you tap into that flowing water and you use that to spread across a, a massive field. But it's all the overflow. It's all, there's no electric pumps doing the work for you. It's all the overflow. You're tapping into the overflow. There's a great picture of what this verse is trying to tell us about hope. Is that if we have tapped into the source of hope, if we approach God as the source of hope, we're not looking at whatever else the grocery store has to offer. We're locked. He is our source of hope. We are anchored. His promises are our source of hope. Even if it doesn't look like we can get hope from Him, even if it looks in the natural, there is no reason for hope, but we are locked and we're committed to the source of hope. And we've got joy and peace that comes from locking into that hope, from anchoring ourselves to that source of hope. It can flow out of our lives and bring life all around us, bring life to those around us, bring life to people in our workplaces. It can bring life to people that have no idea who Jesus is. But because they have the nerve to get in close proximity with us, hope starts to spread. Peace and joy starts to spread. And hopefully, others will see that there is a source of hope. The verse ends. Romans 15, 13, last part. All of this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The verse begins with Paul telling the church in Rome that one of the things he's praying for is that God does his work in bringing hope, hope in his promises, hope in what he's able to do, hope that he's working to the believers. And here he echoes this, that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit to be anchored in hope. And like Abraham with no natural assurance, the Lord is still faithful as our source of hope. The part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to be the source of hope, reminding us of the promises of God, reminding us that God is working, that God is moving. Hope is future focused and drives the belief that things can get better. Even when Abraham had no reason for hope, he had a promise. Hope is not limited to today's reality, but it's anchored in the promise of God. The hope source from God is an anchor that keeps us locked and secure. And this promise was epitomized in the manger with a baby who would become very great. He would be the son of God on the throne of David and reign forever, an eternal kingdom that would never end. Laying in the manger 2,000 years ago, it's the savior of the world. The only one who could repair the broken relationship between God and humanity. And this promise is what defines our lives as believers. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got a few questions for you. I hope you have a chance to write these down or make a note of these. There will be a chance for you to think about this and pray about this this week. The first thing is, are you praying for hope regardless of circumstances? Paul tells us that God is the source of hope and to pray and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can find hope. Are you praying for hope regardless of the circumstances? Abraham had no reason to believe he could get hope, but he stuck fast. Romans 15, this comes by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit to be reminded of the promises of God, to find the strength to trust in Him. Are you praying for hope regardless of circumstances? Second question, who's impacted by your overflow of confident hope? Who's impacted by your overflow? I hope as many people as possible. But if you truly have a hope in the promise of God that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that He repairs our broken relationship with God, the joy and peace are overflowing from our lives. The people can't help but be impacted. Are those people on our mind? As we pray for hope, who's impacted by your overflow of confident hope? Now, laying in the manger 2,000 years ago was the Savior of the world, the one who Christians and believers in Jesus have placed their hope and faith in and had their lives transformed. And the implication of a Savior means there's something that we need saving from. And the answer is from the angel's message to Joseph in Matthew's gospel. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now naturally, we have an abrasion to the word sin, largely because often it's used to judge people harshly and beat people down, but I don't want to run from the problem. And sin is the problem in your life and my life and the lives of everyone around us, both our own sins and the sins of other people that affect us. And it all works together to separate us from God. But remember the promise that was given to Joseph. 
He, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Laying in that manger was a baby, and Joseph, the man trusted to parent Jesus, he'd been told by an angel, this baby is going to save people from their sins. You may be here today, and this may be the first time you've been in church for a really long time. You may have never set foot in a church. You may be here every week. I don't know. But I hope that today you believe me when I say that sin is the problem that all of us have and none of us want. Minimizing the problem doesn't do anybody any favors. But being honest enough to say, you know what? Sin has been wrecking havoc in my life, both because of my decisions, what I've done, the mistakes I've made, the regrets I have, and also the consequence of people around me. The promise, Jesus came to defeat the power of sin in your life, my life, and the life of anyone that would call on his name. About 18 years ago, I made the decision to follow Jesus. And it is the best decision I have ever made. There have been ups, there have been downs. Megan shared about some of our story last week. But I have never once in 18 years regretted my decision to follow Jesus. To walk in that freedom, knowing that the power of sin in my life has been destroyed. Certainly doesn't mean I'm perfect. You can ask Megan afterwards. She's happy to give detailed examples. But there is nothing like coming into a relationship with Jesus. I want to give that opportunity to anyone here today that has not made that declaration, that has not decided that they're going to follow God, that they're going to trust in the promises of God. So I want to ask everyone here, if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes. Let's just give privacy to the people around you. But if you'd be honest enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I'm not following God. I'm separated from Him, and I don't want to be anymore. I want to come into a right relationship with Him. I want to start following Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. And I promise we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to do anything that's going to make anybody here feel uncomfortable or embarrassed. But if this is you today, if you're ready, if this is the moment, I'd love to include you when we pray together in just a second. So if that's you today, if you just put up your hand, just so I know who we're praying for, you want to start a relationship with God today. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Online, you can just click the button that says, I raise my hand. Thank you. Anybody else here? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Before we pray, is there anybody else? You're saying, Tom, I want to start following Jesus today. Just put your hand in the air for a moment. I'd love to pray for you. Amen. I'm glad we waited for you. Amen. Come on, everybody. Word of life, can we please celebrate people making the best decision they could ever make? We're going to pray together. And the words are going to be on the screen. I want to encourage every one of you here, pray this out loud, believing that someone around you is being encouraged to pray this with passion, believing this is a life-changing prayer. Come on, everybody. Lord Jesus. I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, everybody, one more time, let's celebrate.
Thanks for listening. For more resources and ways to get involved, visit our website. That's www.wordoflifeag.org.